0: asked if he believed in an afterlife, a comedian replied, yes, but I'm afraid no one will tell me where it's being held. All of us wonder what will happen to us when we die. What's happened to our loved ones who have already died? Like the comedian's response, there's a vague fear of being left without all the necessary information. Just what is our Christian understanding of death? A common response to the question of what happens when we die is an assured belief in the immortality of the soul. Such a belief is comforting and seems to be validated by some out-of-the-body accounts of those who've had near-death experiences. However, this is not our Christian understanding. It's actually a Greek philosophical idea that found its way into our culture and our churches, and so has remained. The idea holds that when the body dies, the soul is at last released and goes on to eternal life. Our Christian faith teaches us from Genesis that body and soul are one. The Spirit of God breathes into a body, and that body becomes a living soul. If we assume that when the body dies, the soul does not, as the ancient Greeks believed, the body is viewed as a prison house, excess baggage, something even gross and embarrassing. We see the effects of the separation of body and soul in many aspects of contemporary culture. The body is seen as imperfect baggage holding back the perfect soul. And so many seek to radically change and curb the body and make it conform to an ideal of perfection, an ideal image of the soul. The Swiss scholar, Oscar Comand, contrasted the death of Socrates with the death of Jesus. In the Phaedo, Plato described the serene death of Socrates, willingly drinking the hemlock as if he simply shed his outer garment and peacefully flowed into eternity. Jesus, on the other hand, was agitated and fearful, asked his disciples to stay with him, and died in agony and despair. He did this because he truly died. All that he was went into death because it was only by truly dying that he could enter death's domain and overcome it. In Christian doctrine, we believe in the resurrection of the body. It's stated in all the major creeds. It began with the resurrection of Jesus, but such life is the Christian hope for us all. We don't just have a body, we are a body. And in the Song of Songs, our Jewish heritage praises the glory of the body. Jesus enjoyed the life of his body so much that people accused him of being a glutton and a drunk. When his friend Lazarus died, Jesus did not speak of the soul's happy escape. He wept. Death was real. The whole person, the sum of his parts, was gone. And death came into the world because of sin. This equation began in Genesis. And it's to this scheme of events that Jesus came. To alter it was why he set his face face toward Jerusalem. And from his self-giving love, a new divine act of creation emerged, and the man who was dead became the man who lived. In today's Gospel from Luke, we hear of one of the resurrection appearances. It's one with which many of us can identify, because two of the disciples are uncertain about the stories of the resurrection. They're talking about the accounts the women have told, and they find the news hard to believe. They're discouraged and despondent, and while walking the seven miles to the village of Emmaus for the evening, they're joined by a compelling stranger. (laughs) The gospel accounts of Jesus after the resurrection are stories full of wonder and contradiction. From them, we can find some common threads. For example, in several instances, such as today's story, Jesus is not recognized, then becomes known. He becomes known in showing his wounds or in the breaking of bread. He also appears suddenly among the disciples and then does something very physical, such as eating or preparing a meal. From these accounts, it's clear that the disciples were confused, overwhelmed, and so overjoyed that they doubted what was happening. It's also clear that the resurrection body has some new properties as well as some very familiar ones. The resurrection body is a new creation, but it bears the imprints of the suffering and sacrifice we've done for love while we lived on earth. Someone once said that the things we take with us when we die are the things we've given to the poor. And it also may be that we will be recognized when we die by the scars of our moments of self-giving love. There's wide divergence among biblical scholars and people of faith concerning the resurrection of Jesus. There are those orthodox who believe in the objective evidence as presented in the gospel accounts, and there are also within the household of faith, those who believe that something happened of tremendous significance but they can only place that event within the disciples' subjective experience. All agree, and even agnostics and atheists must concur that something so extraordinary happened that time as we knew it stopped, and a new measuring of time began from that event. Despite differing opinions on the actual resurrection of Jesus, Christian doctrine still maintains the resurrection of the body as the hope for us all after we die. The appearance of Jesus to his disciples showed them the first fruits of what was to come. No doubt they disbelieved for joy. After dreading and yet realistically expecting death all of your life, would you not disbelieve such a joyous reversal? G.K. Chesterton once observed, Joy, which is the small publicity of the pagan, is the gigantic secret of the Christian. Unfortunately, in many cases, it's remained a secret. Our missionary zeal has often done more to propound belief than to convey joy. But joy is there. This body, at least some recognizable facsimile, is bound for glory, and the same can be said for each of us. However, we're aware that bodies that die seem to remain in the grave. This seems problematic in the light of our Christian hope. And it's here that we come to understand why the Greek idea of the immortality of the soul offered a solution to the dilemma and so crept into Christian thinking. As I said, the Christian understanding of what happens when we die is basically a hope of resurrection But again, there is a divergence of understanding within the household of faith. To be clear, we must speak of eschatology or the study of the last things. And the New Testament, taken as a whole, was dominated by the thought that a new age was at hand. And this new age would be ushered in by a final judgment in which the dead would be raised. In the intervening centuries, the immediacy of that expectation has had to change. We've come to see the new age, the second coming of Christ, as always at hand, as both here and coming. Consequently, our understanding of the resurrection of the dead has changed to accommodate that eschatology. In the 19th century, Emily Dickinson wrote, Safe in their alabaster chambers, untouched by morning and untouched by noon, lie the meek members of the resurrection, rafter of satin and roof of stone. Orthodoxy holds that there's an intermediate state, that the members of the resurrection are in a state of waiting, whether that be a state of simple anticipation or, in some churches, of purgation. The more evangelical attitude is that the faithful departed are immediately enjoying felicity. As for our bodies, whether immediately or later, all agree that we will be clothed with a new creation, a resurrection body that differs from this one in that it is imperishable. In any event, the death of those who follow Christ is ultimately a cause for joy. But wait a minute. In all this focus on future bliss, we might smell a rat. Haven't we heard something before about pie in the sky? Hasn't this been used to justify the misuse and drudgery of many, many lives? We live in a culture and a world capable of global death where life for many is still cheap. Isn't this more justification of greed and privilege with the assumption that equity and justice will come about later when there are no material or social limitations? Isn't this just more of the same? To this, Jesus responds, that he came that we might all have life and have it abundantly, beginning now. Jesus did not die on the cross so that our lives on earth would be simply a preamble to our joy in heaven. Rather, Jesus came to teach us how to live on the earth so that we might realize its wonder, so that we might learn to love now. In Thornton Wilder's play, Our Town, Emily Webb has an opportunity to return from the dead for just one day. She chooses her 12th birthday. She goes back with the knowledge of what will happen and of her death. She begins the day with the poignant awareness that we, the living, have no idea how beautiful and precious and fleeting this life is. Oh, Mama, she says under her breath, just look at me, one minute, as though you really saw me. Mama, 14 years have gone by. I'm dead. You're a grandmother, Mama. I married George Gibbs. Wally's dead, too. Mama, his appendix burst on a camping trip to North Conway. We felt just terrible about it. Don't you remember? But just for a moment, we're happy. Let's look at one another. But they don't. And Emily cannot stay the whole day. She says she can't do it. It goes so fast. We don't have time to look at one another. She returns to the dead, looking back, exclaiming, Oh, Earth, you are too wonderful for anyone to realize you. In the gospel of John Jesus says These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full The possibilities of awakening to full consciousness and self-awareness and to full human responsibility happens within our biological lifespan It's here that we do or do not achieve the image of God for which we were created The medieval rabbis used to say that if we could only see, each person is preceded by legions of angels singing, make way for the image of God. And so each of us is meant to be the image of God, the Christ. And our destiny is to permeate the mysteries that have challenged us this morning. Now, we're a bit like chickens trying to comprehend Einstein's theory of relativity. So we approach the mystery of love at the heart of eternity with the tools on which we've come to rely, our data banks and computers, our firm belief in facts and rationality, and we see through a glass darkly. Someday we shall see face to face. But this we know now there is joy in the final denouement. It is a divine comedy and not a tragedy in the end. O Death, where is your victory? O grave, where is your sting? There celebration, abundant life, and great joy awaiting us at the end. As Chesterton observed, we sit in a starry chamber of silence, while the laughter of the heaven, of the last laughter of the heavens, is too loud for us to hear. Let us pray. O God, whose blessed Son, made himself known to his disciples in the breaking of the bread. Open the eyes of our faith, that we may behold him in all of his redeeming work, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.